Hey everybody, welcome to Ministry Modus. My name is Cornbread, and my co-host is... Hello everyone, my name is Martin. I'll just keep it at Martin. Uh, Welcome everyone. Welcome everyone. So we here today uh, are very interested in covering a topic, what we would call the corporate church. And by corporate church, we generally mean church, any church or religious organization that operates in a very business-like manner, very much like a corporation. So do you have any thoughts to add, Martin, about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so like corporation, um, so a corporation, let's think of it as that big business. Um, and the primary purpose of a corporation is not just to make money, but it's to maximize profit. And when we apply this maximization of profit to a church, then we have a corporate church where For example, like a corporation, the goal of the church, a corporate church, would be to expand, expand, exponential growth, make as much profit as you can. And so that's what we mean by the corporate church. And we're also meaning as well, um, corporate churches, they invest their money into the financial realm. So we're talking about that stuff as well. So we're going to be talking about all of this today. Right. So basically, we are very interested in exploring the intersections of faith and capital, if we want to be uh, very short and sweet about it. We're very interested in seeing how specific churches um, are dipping their hand into like the stock market or their interactions with financial institutions, and to basically also suss out the potential consequences of that uh, unholy alliance, if you will. Yeah, I like that. I also thought in my head, too, you said faith and capital. I'm thinking in my head, like, capital faith. That would be a good, a good name for an investment firm that caters to churches. Right, which we will actually be covering an example of that here in just a bit. So, hey, I'll do that. Yeah. So, for uh, just a little background about ourselves, uh, what we believe in respect to religion, our experience of religion, and introducing uh, the inspiration for this topic. So, Martin, would you like to begin? Yeah, I could talk about that. So, um, right, so my. Res- uh, my experience with religion, uh, well, first, I was brought up uh, by my mother and father into the Quaker tradition of Christianity. Um, the biggest thing people know about Quakers is that they believe in pacifism. They're pacifistic. Um, they don't believe in wars, essentially. Um, Quakers were also one of the first religious groups in America to um speak out against slavery. So that's another uh, feather in Quaker in the Quaker traditions cap there. Um, So my father, my father more than my mother was really the catalyst behind me becoming a Christian when I was an early, at an early age. So here's the setup. 
Um, well, I've been going to church all my life from the time that I was in my mother's womb to, yeah, the time that I was 25, uh, maybe 25, 26. But anyway, here's a setup here. Um, so one of the, uh, things that I can remember is I'm seven years old. I'm playing Sonic the Hedgehog, the first game, and I am on the stage where it looks like a casino. I believe that's the third stage. Yeah. And I'm playing in my room. You know, I'm having a good time. I'm enjoying the colors in the background. And my father walks in. He's like, hey, son, let's talk about something. So he comes up to me. And mind you, I'm seven. And he says, hey, have you ever given your life to Jesus Christ? <laughs> I was like, no. Dad, I just <laughs> want to play Sonic. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, no. And... uh Anyway, he sits down on the bed. He's like, come on, son, let's pray. I'm like, okay. And so we pray the, uh, the sinner's prayer, and, um, and I ask Jesus to come into my heart and life. And so that's, the kind of, so that's just an example of my experience with religion. And um, my father and my mother were basically my catalyst for becoming a Christian, uh, much like a lot of Christians. Um, and the Quaker church that I attended – uh, was called Friends Worship Center, or it still is called Friends Worship Center. And I met some very, very good people there. And uh, the pastor, Bruce Bell, has had a great influence on my life. He's a wonderful, wonderful pastor. Um, I have nothing but good things to say about him. Even though I'm not a Christian today, I can look at that man and still be able to say, this is a man of God. This is a righteous person, I guess you can say. Yeah. And um, I've had great, I haven't really had negative experiences with religion, to be honest with you. And here's another thing about my experience with religion. I actually was a youth pastor or youth leader. I would say youth group leader because I mm -hmm. wasn't, it was a volunteer position, so I wouldn't call myself a pastor. I think you have to be paid for that. I'm not sure. But, um, but for a couple years at my church, I was a youth group leader where I would uh, lead and create lessons to teenagers from age 12 to age 18. And that's where, um, that's actually where I discovered that I had some talent as a teacher in uh, connection with, with teenagers. And uh, I'm actually a teacher right now, a uh, high school history teacher. So, so that's one of, uh, so my experiences with religion has been uh, not, re not really negative. Um, I mean, you see negative stuff, but, I tell you, from my experience, and especially the church I went to, a small church, mind you, about 50 to 80 people, a small church, but um, there's really good people. There are really good people in the church. And uh, so I, I'm, coming at, I'm coming from it, not from a negative perspective to where, oh, my gosh, oh, Christianity is bad or religion is bad. I'm not coming, coming at it from that perspective. Um, so that's what I, so taking that now, um, what do I call it and consider myself today? Well, I consider myself an agnostic. Um, and here, and I'm, I'm going to offend theists and atheists when I say this, but here's how I feel about it. I think that theism and atheism are the same coin, but different sides of that coin. And what do I mean by that? So you have a theist who believes that there's a God, okay? And you have an atheist who believes that there is no God. 
Well, they both posit something that they cannot prove the existence of a supernatural being, or in the case of the atheist, the non-existence of a supernatural being. I think the wisest thing to say is, I don't know. Is there a God? I do not know, and I don't think there's any way to know, 100%. So that's my belief right now on religion. That's what my belief has evolved to. Um. And you might be wondering, well, how did you become a Christian for, you know, 20 plus years and then you become an agnostic? Well, before I get into that, I feel like I'm kind of talking too long. So cornbread, why don't you give your beliefs about religion? Right. Oh, so if we're going to go off some background here, I was raised in a, uh, I guess you could say it was a very culturally Christian uh, environment not really one where i was expected to attend church um my mom and my sisters they they would go to church i actually never did uh the first time i actually had attended an actual church service was when i was 21 i think to be honest um but yeah my i didn't really have a terribly negative time with religion uh when I was younger, though, I would say about maybe age nine or ten, I was watching. It's quite the story. This is my first real negative experience with religion, uh, unless you consider teaching the idea of hell to your children as negative, which I kind of do, to be honest. But yeah, yeah. anyway, so when I was about nine or ten years old, it's late at night, probably around like 11 p.m. I'm watching the History Channel. And this was a time like early, early 2000s when the media, for whatever fucking reason, was obsessed with topics about Armageddon and the apocalypse and Nostradamus and all that crap. So when I was, <laughs> I'm watching this program and it has these guests who are speaking on the topic of the apocalypse, specifically the apocalypse described in the Book of Revelation, which if you are familiar with that subject, it's a pretty trippy read. Um, I had no idea this was actually in the Bible at the time. Um, neither did my family. <laughs> like I said, we were cultural Christians. We were not particularly well-read and studied Christians. Anyway, as I'm learning more and more about this, I hear this stuff about how the world will be destroyed in this great cataclysm. Uh, there will be great persecution. Uh, all this very horrible, terrible stuff, which was a great intrusion of my reality. Um they really described in detail uh, some of the more metaphorical language in the book Revelation, which at that time I was taking literally, literally. Um, so I was thinking when I heard about the beasts with seven heads, I literally thought that there was going to be a giant monster with seven heads 
just emerging from the ocean. <laughs> you know, uh, I literally believed in like uh, the the horror of Babylon was another interesting thing. Uh, I was very concerned mostly about the concept of the beast and the antichrist and that horrified me. I was literally trembling on the couch and crying when I was uh, discovering all this in my youth. Um, the funny thing about that, actually, um, I believe Ted Haggard was on there. And this was years before he would be caught in a scandal where he admitted to having sexual relations with men. Um, but yeah, I would say that was be my first real negative experience of religion uh i would say it was legitimately traumatizing because yeah. it i'm prone to very anxious obsessed thinking so while i was growing up i would constantly think about that stuff i was always afraid about the end of the world and it only stopped i think when i lost my faith around 16 or so even though I still had that mindset, I would still be concerned about things that could basically destroy the world, like meteors, uh, stuff from outer space, nuclear war, climate change, you know, all that fun shit. Um, but yeah, I drifted into a state of agnosticism kind of when I was like maybe my 15, 16 year. And then onward... I would probably say when I was like 18 to early 20s was when I became an atheist. Um, I don't really use the term atheism in a way that I would describe as positive atheism, which would be something like, I know there is no God or there or no gods exist. I would say my atheism is what we call the weak atheism or the implicit atheism, where I do not hold the belief that any gods exist, but I don't hold to the truth claim that no gods exist. So that's my experience and my, yeah, that's basically my experience and where I'm at with uh, religion now. Yeah, and I can uh, I can relate to the uh, the anxiety you had about the revelation, and uh, I was very steeped too in end times prophecy and end times uh, revelation, so to speak. Oh yeah, um, that will fuck you up. My father, yeah, my father actually, uh, my father actually had these uh, this book called The Late Great Planet Earth by ha by Hal Lindsey. Yeah, and uh, this book terrified me. Um, it's a book about uh, the end times and about um, plan the world the way it is today. And Lindsay makes connections to, for example, stuff like the occult, witches and demons and all that kind of stuff to kind of say that we're living in the end times now. And that and so revelations didn't scare me as much as like the occult, you know, like demons, witches, uh, Satan. Yeah. That kind of stuff I'm still freaked out about today. That you know, I, I won't touch a Ouija board. I won't mess. I, I won't go anywhere near the occult. You know, is it true? Like I said before, I don't know. But you know what? If Jesus said the devil has come to kill, steal, and destroy, and I don't want to be anywhere near somebody who wants to kill, 
steal and destroy. So I still have a lot of superstition today from it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I understand what you mean by that. Like that, that occult stuff, like that stuff can keep you up at night. At least me. <laughs> yeah. I don't share that actually. I mean, I would, if Ouija boards actually did what they are purported to do, I would be talking to like DMX right about now, <laughs> like 3 AM, the witching hour. I'm like, okay, what's DMX up to on the other side? What's he got to say? <laughs> but I'm too scared, man. Yeah. I will fully admit I'm scared. I am scared of that stuff. Right on though. So anyway, <sighs> I think we should probably move on to our topic for today or the subject of our topic today. Oh, before we get to that though, um, yeah, I realized I, I just remember beep, popped in my head. Um, I, I'll talk about how I went from, um, I guess a Christian to agnostic, I suppose. I forgot to do that. Oops. Oh. Sorry. Uh, so real quick here uh, before we get to our topic today. So you might be wondering, so how did you go from a Christian to an agnostic here? And so I think one of the main, uh, one of the, uh, one of the first things was uh, reading about in college, reading about uh, the, how the gospel, well, how the old Testament and how the new Testament came to be and from an academic perspective. Not from not not from a biased, you know, we already believe this to be true perspective, but from an academic perspective, for example, like the Q document and stuff like that. Yeah. So I remember reading a, a book by Bart Ehrman, Ehrman is his name, um, where he talked about some of the contradictions in the Gospels about from the birth of Jesus to when Jesus fled to Egypt and, and, and also to when Jesus was like when he was a child, when he was correcting people, uh, correcting older, wiser religious figures. Yeah. So I remember reading about that. And I remember this. Uh, I remember reading about it on a bus, a public transportation bus going to school and back. And I remember reading and I remember I have this feeling in the pit of my stomach. And you ever had that feeling in the pit of your stomach to where your your identity was being challenged? And this is a huge point, too, for anybody who may be um, religious out there of any faith or denomination, whatever. But when you grow up into your faith, it becomes your identity. And here's the problem with that. When something becomes your identity and, it gets, and, and that thing gets challenged, it's very mentally um stressing it's very stressful cognitive and it's a cognitive oh, yeah, dissonance. i was gonna say that sounds like cognitive dissonance to me and well and when, yeah and when you, and so that is it, psychosomatic because it affects your body as well and, and for me i mean it really affected my the stress that i felt really affected my entire body you know make me sick for example or to make it so i couldn't eat for example and so that's one of the first experiences I had with my religion being challenged. And so um, I actually went to, uh, after I graduated college, um, I spent about a year working at a law office, but then I went to seminary. So I went to uh, a seminary in Kentucky called Asbury uh, Theological Seminary. It's a pretty big deal among uh, evangelicals, Asbury uh, Theological Seminary. Right. And um, I actually attended for a week. <laughs> So I attended for a week there, 
Um, I actually got, I, I believe I got the presidential scholarship where all my tuition was paid for and et cetera. So I went down there and um, I noticed that I wouldn't have been able to afford the housing. And so I decided that, hey, I'm here for a week. I don't know what to do. I'm not going to be able to afford this housing uh, to live on campus. And I live too far to commute. So I guess I'm just going to have to leave here. <laughs> and so um, that was a big, big decision for me. And it was really uh, stressful. And I remember as I was talking about my situation of not being able to afford to live on campus, live there, or just live down there in, uh, near campus, I remember talking with my fellow seminarians uh, and one guy in particular said to me, and this, this, this always stuck with me. He said this, he said, some of us are here on faith. The what implication a, being what that fucking, I wasn't here on faith. <laughs> what a fucking douchebag. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so that, that kind of, that, that, that comment struck me like a blow to the stomach. You know what I'm saying? If you ever boxed before, you know, you'd rather get punched in the stomach. I mean, you'd rather get punched in the face than the stomach. Because if you get punched in the stomach, there's, you know. You're out of wind. There's, yeah, there's a chance you'll be out of wind. And that adds up over time. So that was kind of like a blow to the stomach for me. Because the implication being your faith wasn't strong enough. Yeah. Or maybe you're not praying enough. And so from there, um, I went home in great um, defeat. You know, I felt like a loser. Mm -hmm. so I went home and, um, and I, and I re-enrolled to become a teacher. And I started in sociology classes. I was reading every, I was reading every, I was reading uh, everybody from uh, modern day Chomsky to all the way to Dr. Uh, back to Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to all the way back to Adam Smith and Karl Marx to get a lot of balance there. And so studying all that, I began to look around society and think about, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why is society the way it is today? And so you look at Marx, for example, and by the way, I'm not a communist, <laughs> so don't, 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 you know, don't try to say I'm a communist. Only one uh, of us you is a communist Marx. here. Huh? Only one of us is a communist here. <laughs> yeah, I'm more balanced, you know. But, uh, but anyway, I, I was reading Marx, and, you know, Marx says religion is the opiate of the people. And then so I'm reading stuff like that, and I'm also reading about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his struggle beyond the I Have a Dream stuff. And, uh, you know, the Dr. King, he talked about, why black Americans couldn't wait anymore for, for their rights. Yeah. Yeah. That they were promised all the way back in 1865. So the Birmingham letter in 1963, a, a lot. So Dr. King in the Birmingham letter of 1963, he is addressing his critics from uh, white, white, white faith leaders, he's addressing his critics who says, you know what? Wait, Dr. King, don't march. Don't make a scene. Wait. And Dr. King was talking about, why should I wait? Why should we wait? Yeah. Because injustice 
and injustice anywhere is an injustice everywhere. And so I began to apply that, that kind of thinking to religion. I thought, wait a minute. The reason why society is the way it is today, well, one of the reasons why, because, you know, the many causes, many effects. But one of the reasons why there's a lot of injustice in the world today is that people are accepting their natural lot. And I think religion and not just Christianity, not just Christianity, but I think religion in general, because you even look at Hinduism. That's another issue. But I think religion plays a huge part in allowing people just to accept things the way they are. And I thought about, well, maybe religion was created to, to upkeep the status quo. And so that's one thing that really changed me from um, a Christian to more of an agnostic. Right. I mean, a lot of religions typically will employ, and I'm not saying this, they all do this, but for a lot of people, religious explanations of how the world is the way it is usually falls under a kind of fallacious mode of thinking, I think. Something that we would call uh, the just world fallacy. Mm -hmm. And it usually describes, you know, the world and everyone's position in the world, uh, certain forms of hierarchies as essentially being justified or in some ways, you know, saying everything is in the hands of God or whatever it not only removes your agency to do anything about it, it also kind of implies that things are the way they are because God or some other force has ordained them to be such. Um, But yeah, that's how I can definitely see that playing out. Well, yeah, and also a lot of that thinking too leads to a lot of gullibility. Yeah. And you have con men who can take advantage of that gullibility, for example, to take money or, for example, to sexually assault their um, their patrons or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think and that's why there's so much of that tied to religion. I yeah. Think. And I think on the other hand, too, and I am trying to approach this from a very nuanced perspective. I mean, the religiosity of Dr. King and uh, if you're familiar with uh, Dr. Cornell West, mm-hmm. their their faith is not inhibiting their ability to perceive the world and the unjust circumstances that we're all subject to in it. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we're not here to absolutely. say that religion makes people... Uh, just blind to the reality of the world. But in a lot of cases, there are many examples of religion actually contributing to that sense of blindness, that gullibility, what have you, which I think this would be a good time to transition to our subject for today. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, lest we talk too much about ourselves and our own experiences. So the, one, the first example that we would like to cover today is the example of a non-denominational church in Columbus, Ohio, called Rock City Church. 
Live City, yeah. An example of a, a, a church set in a corporate structure, a corporate church. Yeah, yeah. And churches typically do have, uh, if anyone's familiar with ministry, church, it's pretty common for churches to have some kind of like hierarchy, um, uh, people in seats of responsibility, making decisions, stuff like that. So, however, there are models that definitely resemble a more corporate structure. Mm -hmm. um, like, maybe Martin could probably elaborate on this, but how many churches do you know have like an executive director or anything like that? Or a marketing department. <laughs> How many churches do you know have a fucking marketing department? I, <laughs> I I know of none other than these mega churches. And I, you, you know, in marketing, it's like marketing is for the purpose of money. Like, I, isn't a church, isn't the role of a church to spread Jesus's great commission and also maintain um, the sheep, I so to say. Sheep, not not sheep like in a bad way, but the flock. Yeah, the flock. Yeah. yeah. Like Jesus talked about the flock. The faithful yeah. and all that. So, yeah. And so, yeah, this is, it, it really makes me aghast to think about the a corporate model to a church. Because the function of a church is, is very, very different from the function of a corporation. Yeah. Well, yeah. One is to make a profit, to maximize profit rather. The other is to um, convert and take care of those who are already converted rather. Right, right. To tend to the spiritual needs of... Yeah, that's a better way of saying Yeah, the people, not just within the congregation, but to the people outside of it too. You know, going beyond one's walls and all that. Um, but the subject of our discussion today, Rock City Church. So, like I said, non-denominational church based in Columbus, Ohio, or more specifically, it's headquartered in Hilliard, Ohio now, which is, I guess you could say Hilliard is, it's it's its own city, but it's kind of also part of Columbus in its own way. It's a suburb of Columbus, yeah. Yeah. It's a... Uh... Yeah, if you, I mean, if you take all the suburbs of Columbus, Ohio, and you add what's in the official city limits, I mean, it's it's about what two million people. Yeah, yeah. It's the fourteenth. Columbus, Ohio, is the fourteenth largest city in the United States of America. So, just right. to give you some context for that. Yeah. So, Rock City Church was launched on April third of two thousand eleven in the AMC theaters at the Lenox Town Center. Um, kind of an odd place to build a church or to start one rather, because it's a, uh, it's basically just like a commercial area. So it's got a target, it's got an old Navy, it's got like a Burlington coat factory. Um, it's got like a few restaurants and a big old movie theater. So not the most conventional or standard place to plant a church, but it's well, it a good location though. I can say that because it oh, is like yeah. in the middle of Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, it is in the middle. Yeah, and it it expanded very rapidly. Um, it was founded by a guy known as Pastor Chad Fisher and his wife, Katie Fisher, um, along with a few of their uh, associates, I guess you could say. Um, but yeah, this is a church that in its 10-year 
existence has expanded rapidly. It is now in five locations throughout Columbus and its nearby suburbs. So its second location was in the short north area, um, conspicuously right next to a, uh, a record store <laughs> that goes by the name of Magnolia Thunder Pussy. Uh, let me, let me confirm that just to be totally sure, but yeah, uh, it expanded also into, uh, new, uh, into the Dublin area. It went into upper Arlington, I believe. And, uh, its latest location is, uh, in the Polaris, uh, shopping. <laughs> it's like right near or in proximity to a shopping mall now. Yeah, so pause right there, though, because check this out. Um, these areas that you mentioned yeah. are some of the more uh, lucrative or prosperous areas in the Columbus, Ohio area. Yeah. Yeah, areas that tend to have a bit more income. Uh, areas with a lot of foot traffic, too. Absolutely, yeah. And, yeah, it's if you're going to start a church, I mean... Those are very clever ways to actually get people there. They're very, most of these areas are also very, uh, pretty liberal, uh, yuppie. I, well, not all of them are very yuppie, but the audience that Rock City tends to attract, uh, if all of you look at its marketing, it's meant toward like a millennial audience and it sets up shop in areas that are, yeah, I would say pretty middle class or above. They don't really have any churches in the poor areas of Columbus, although they do they do, do outreach. Um, they have extension centers and stuff like that. But their main uh, worship services are usually conducted in these areas. So right now, too, though, uh, let's get into this character of Pastor Chad Fisher. Oh, my man, Pastor Chad. Who <laughs> say something about this guy? This guy is uh, he's quite entertaining. I'll give him that. In his own way. Maybe not in the <laughs> way that he hopes to be. Uh, but yeah, he's not a very he's not a conventional pastor. OK, folks, he's a cool pastor. He wears <laughs> jeans. Oh, no, what jeans he wears. He, he dresses like an NBA athlete. All right. He dresses like how you would expect. Uh, how do you expect athletes to dress when they're, you know, with ju- what it was it called? Not jump. Well, sometimes jumpsuits, but I guess the athletes. He's very athlete. Athleisure. Dre- yeah. He, athle- he, oh, there you go. Athletic leisure. He loves his athleisure. Um so when he gives his sermons, this is a guy who's usually in like a hoodie or maybe like a fleece, uh, maybe some sweatpants, sometimes jeans. Like I'm looking at a picture right now that he has on his website. And it was the first picture I ever saw of him. And he's kind of like just sitting on a stoop. And he has his he's got like the jeans that have like, you know, they're cut. <laughs> and he's just kind of like got his hands clap claps together and he's got like a little thing on his neck it looks like a little key it's like he's wearing a necklace that has a key on it so i'm looking at their website uh, yeah uh let's see if we go to our pastor what happened to suits and ties you know oh 
Oh, yeah. oh, wait. No, and this one, he doesn't have it. But there's another picture of him where he looks almost exactly like this. But he has like a key necklace kind of just dangling on him, dangling down. Um, but yeah, he I think he had some experience as like an assistant pastor or something in Kentucky, I believe, before he and his wife began their venture to Columbus a decade ago. And since then, they have had a lot of success. Um, Pastor Chad is a very conservative guy. I mean, it's a non-denominational church. And usually non-denominational churches tend to overlap or are not just rebranded evangelical churches. So it's not a surprise that he has some more conservative views. Uh, Traditional beliefs about uh, like, traditional gender roles, gay marriage, uh, abortion. He's very anti-anti-choice guy. Um, But he loves sports. Pastor Chad loves him some sports. Um, Before he he privated his Twitter, uh, for reasons unknown, he has privated (laughs) his Twitter account. Um, But he had some very interesting takes. Um, My all-time favorite... And I used to have this saved. Uh, it might be saved somewhere on my phone, but it was it was great. Um, Pastor Chad made a tweet about how he wishes the NBA would relax its uh, rules about players fighting because he thought that it was making the players too soft. They should be allowed <laughs> to just, you know, beat the shit out of each other on the court. <laughs> you know, get some blood sport. You know, the most Christian thing you could do is, you know, say, this is not violent enough. I must have more violence. It's making us weak. <laughs> Never mind Jesus himself saying, uh, turn the other cheek. But yeah, th- that, his character is complicated. Um in very hilarious ways. Um, he has stated this opinion more than once on Twitter. Uh, I wish I could, br- I wish I could direct you to his Twitter, but like I said, his tweets are now privated. So I can only imagine why he did that. I'm sure it's nothing to do with the backlash. His latest series, uh, hashtag is not that complicated is the name of the series. And it's about relationships and it's a to describe it um, besides, you know, very traditional Christian relationship advice. The best way I could sum it up. And Martin has actually listened to some of this as well is it's kind of like a very weird melange and meandering of gender identity. Uh, what else? <laughs> uh, at one point I recall pastor Chad and his sermon saying pervadum or word by word that (laughs) congress is working towards uh creating a genderless society (laughs) i believe that was let me see i think that was the third single single life or i think that was the single way he talked about his sermons about single people yeah, it was in the series. It's not that complicated. And I believe it was in the one about being single. It was either that or toxic relationships. 
Um, what, was Toxic Relationships the roundtable one? No, that was the Q&A. Oh. They had a Q&A sermon. And it was him and his wife and a couple other uh, pastors affiliated with Rock City. And again, it was very much a very uh, mask off in terms of it's the church's stance on these issues. Because for a long time, the church, Rock City, was kind of discreet about its stance on certain issues like abortion and LGBTQ issues. Yeah. Um, but with that, it's not that complicated series. The church kind of became more mask off about what it really thinks. Um, and they also have just weird ideas like um, in oh, the Q, like in the Q and a session, in the Q and a session, his wife said that the woman a woman should not pursue a man, but the man should pursue the woman. Yeah. <laughs> and, she, and her reason for that is, well, if a woman pursues a man, the man could eventually become disinterested in the woman. <laughs> what the fuck? What? Because, me? because that always works that way, right? Yeah. I mean, what about the woman? What about... Just because he's everybody can become disinterested. Yeah, just because he's not sitting, just because he's sitting next to you in church doesn't mean he's pursuing (laughs) you, right? Uh, That was another gem. And then it was during the panel discussion when uh, I think it was Katie Fisher, his wife, who made that remark. And then Pastor Chad oh so graciously uh, commented that. Yeah, I sat next to my mom in church for years. And then his <laughs> wife looks at him like and says, That was that was really weird. Yeah, but she she says that in like this condescending way, like you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very passive way of saying, You're a fucking idiot. Why would you say that? <laughs> she yeah, and look, she just looks like you can tell in her head, she's like, What the heck is this he talking? You can you can yeah. say that. We think Pastor Chad is a very smart man. I think he's a very, very smart man, folks. Um, but hopefully we painted a character. Quite honestly, I like yeah. the guy. <laughs> yeah. He is entertaining when he's not being like homophobic yeah. and transphobic and, you know. And saying weird comments like that. like Yeah, he just has to add his two cents to things. And he doesn't really think about when he says it or what he's going to say. Or if it's a good idea. Um, oh, oh, also in the same Q and A session, uh, like Pastor Chad asked the asked one of his, I, I believe, uh, assistant pastors who was biracial. Yeah, yeah. Um, a question that about like a question if if interracial dating is you know is God's plan or whatever, and what's his wife do? Yes, his very white wife. Decides her her opinion is actually <laughs> what she has to say is gonna is obviously more urgent and important than uh, this man who th- they were talking about uh, a question they got from a attendee of the church and it was someone who was probably a teenager and they were talking about the issue of uh, racism in the household so 
right before this guy, this biracial assistant pastor, is going to give his two cents, Katie Fisher just immediately comes, cuts in, goes like, actually, I want, I got something to say about this real quick. And it's just, I'm like thinking, what is your fucking problem? What? Okay, Karen. She pulled a fucking Karen on them. Oh, boy. Yeah, and, and Pastor Chad specifically, specifically asked him, the, the, the interracial guy, I don't know his name, but his name, yeah. he, he asked him, to answer the question or address the question, not her. Yeah, but it was just so bizarre watching that happen. Like, what? Why did you do that? <laughs> Could you? It was just really inconsiderate and bizarre. And it was just, oh, my God, it made me cringe. I felt angry yeah. for that guy. <laughs> um, but, yeah. So hopefully that gives you I hope we presented a very good characterization of the folks who are managing this church um a lot of them are very talented singers uh they put a lot of money into their uh music and they yeah you can go on spotify and they actually do have like a a rock city worship soundtrack or an album and they got some very spicy bangers um (laughs) this is a church with a lot of money to invest in media anything related to do with media whether it's they got their own merch dude oh yeah they got <laughs> let's cover that really briefly well, so i'll tell you what let's go to their website here let's, yeah well let's uh, yeah, well let's address people there so absolutely because um, we're talking about corporate church stuff so i think uh if, yeah. you, if you go to this church's website which is rockcitychurch.tv uh you will see on the upper right corner of their website is the menu tab uh if you scroll all the way down to the very bottom you'll see a link that says shop rock city well that's interesting because i see it i see it on the actual front page oh really my computer yeah it says welcome home and then it has a background of columbus ohio's downtown skyline and it says watch online and shop rock city as the next tab, as the next like uh, thing to click on. Oh, right. That that was because I was actually still on the Our Story page. I see oh, what you okay. mean now. Yeah. So, yeah it's so, on the front page. I mean. You don't even have to look for it. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's there waiting, waiting to greet you. Shop Rock City. Uh, hey, man, these prices, holy mackerel. Yeah. If you're talking about, I mean, this is just like a tip <laughs> of the iceberg. I mean, I know churches have to hustle and all that, but this is pretty ridiculous. Um, so, and what, so Rock City Church and their brand name. I, some So you click on Shop Rock City, and the first thing you see is Making Heaven Full. And then you have these uh, models modeling these clothes. Yeah. Uh, it looks – this website feels pretty much like it's modeled of like fucking H&M or something or Urban Outfitters. Yeah. In terms of its design. But anyway, um, let's let's look at some of the merchandise these people have. So one of the things that catches my eye immediately is their most expensive item on here. It is a hoodie. It is a hoodie that says it's just a it comes in two colors, black and red. Um, it's a unisex champion sweatshirt, uh, heavyweight premium reverse weave hoodie made from 82 percent cotton, 18 percent polyester. Um, so 
All it really says, it says Rock City Church along the trim of the hood. And on the front, it says on your mark, right? You know, where you, you put your hands on in. Uh, this hoodie is $75. <laughs> it's $75 for this fucking hoodie and the description it's a quote from Hebrews 12 <laughs> which is a v- but yeah it's weird because it's like there, the, the bible verse for Hebrews 12 is not even on there yeah it's not even on the sweatshirt it's on I'm in the hoodie yeah why is it even if you go to uh, yeah it's just so baffling and then there's another hoodie I'm looking at it's fifty-one dollars. Uh, a church. It, it's just a pretty ugly ass hoodie that says "at church like this" on the chest, uh, and the Rock City Church uh, label, kind of where the pockets at, and it just says "at Rock City's first worship experience." Pastor Chad said. One of the things that we found when we moved to Columbus is there is a hunger for a church like this. A hunger for a church that is relevant, that engages culture, that reaches people that aren't being reached, that has a heart for the unchurched and the spiritually restless. We, but here's, here's the kicker here. Right underneath it on the description, it says, we are contributors, not consumers. The church does not exist for us. We are for the church and we exist for the world. Buy our fucking hoodie for $51. <laughs> it didn't say that, no. It's like, but yeah, so much of their merchandise is just, ah, uh, it looks ugly. It's just ugly promotional stuff. Rock City Church crewnecks, Rock City Church tees, more hoodies, baseball tees. Uh, there's a, a beanie, a car, it's a Carhartt knit cap for like $31 and it just says Rock City Church on it. That, yeah, that was mm, 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 mm. the hustle was real, folks, especially if you're a church. Um, But yeah, so like I said before, this church has expanded rapidly and it, it's if we're going off its annual report, it's only going to increase its growth in terms of its membership, its outreach, um, and of course, its dollars, its cash money. Hmm. So right now, I think is a good time to go to the question, who's backing Rock City Church, though? And so we did some research into this and go into it. Yeah. So Rock City Church uh, was founded, uh, like I said, through Pastor Chad, but he his story is tied to an organization called the Association of Related Churches uh, or simply called ARC. And their website is arcchurches.com. So let's pay a visit to this website, shall we? Yeah. So 
So ARCchurches.com. And one thing I'm noticing as I'm looking at this web page is it kind of looks like the Rock City website. It's got a lot of similar design. Um, very similar. Yeah. Because it's got like the big, the, the layout. It's just, it seems like the buttons are just in different areas for the most part. But other than that, I mean, it looks a little bit more impressive than Rock City's website, to be honest. But anyway, it has more video. But yeah. So the very first thing you'll see on the website uh, is its banner uh, that says launching, connecting and equipping the local church. And we have two options right from the get go. I want to start a church and I'm an existing church. So we already kind of have a good idea of what ARC is basically it's a organization that is dedicated to church planting. Okay. And on the surface, there's nothing wrong with that. Let's go a little bit beneath the surface here. Yeah. Let's take a gander. So let's go to the about page. Let's, let's see what ARC is really about here. So in their own words, if we go to the about page, uh, We are an association of relational churches working with church planters and church leaders to provide support, guidance, and resources to launch and grow life-giving churches. So let's go further down, get the mission statement there. And of course, there's the humble beginnings of ARC. (laughs) So from the beginning, yes, the section that we're at. Mm Mm-hmm. In 2000, six pastors met together and formed the Association of Related Churches. There were three catalysts responsible for the idea of forming an organization like ARC. So, reading the first catalyst. Catalyst one. First of all, catalyst. Yeah. Why can't they just say three people? It makes it sound very organic. a chemistry experiment? Yeah, it makes it sound like a very organic thing. Um, But yeah, so... Catalyst one, Greg Surratt, pastor of the Seacoast Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Greg told his church that he felt they were supposed to plant (laughs) 2,000 churches. The problem, he didn't know how to make it happen. Stop, stop. So this is preposterous. This is preposterous. It's what their website says. I'm not misrepresenting. Greg told his church he felt they were supposed to plant 2,000 churches. He just had a vision. He told him to do this. Just had a vision, you know. Just like, he didn't even say he had a vision. He doesn't even say. He just kind of like felt it. Like, yeah, I, I, I just like, feel like we're supposed what, to. What is happening? It just, yeah, so we have the motivation. Oh, actually, we don't even have the motivation, really. We just kind of just, uh, I feel like planning 2,000 churches, fucking whatever. I woke up in the morning and said, I want to plant 2,000 churches. Yeah, it's like he got off, like what? Did he he come up with this idea? Like after he got off the toilet when he took a shit in the morning is like when he was uh, thinking about I'm in the year two thousand that's crazy you know what I want to plant two thousand churches I didn't think about that <laughs> yeah because this this all happened in the year two thousand this is <laughs> so catalyst two uh, Bill Hornsby Billy or Billy Hornsby excuse me Billy Hornsby was fascinated by Greg's quote 
life-giving, unquote, weekend services that were attracting large numbers of unchurched people. A spirit, oh, a, a spirit-filled, non-spooky service. To Billy, this was a model to be emulated. He felt he could put feet to Greg's vision of planting 2,000 churches. <laughs> Who was writing this? I don't know. Like, where did Billy meet Greg? Why is life giving in quotations, right? And what that word unchurched, if I hear that word again, I'm gonna slot I'm gonna choke somebody. I can't stand that. I hate that term so much. A spirit filled, non spooky <laughs> Non spooky. How come they didn't put non spooky in quotes? <laughs> spooky service. What is a spooky service? Is there like <laughs> skeletons like dancing around? Are there ghosts? <laughs> Oh my gosh. It's oh, like the yeah. pastor like wearing like a bow necklace or something and there's like dark flames behind him. Everything is painted black. Oh man. Just like what? red all over the place. Spooky. This is getting more preposterous. Just like spiders and cobwebs and shit. <laughs> so Billy Hornsby uh I don't know how he meets Greg, but he's very fascinated by the life-giving services. Uh, and then he feels like he could help with this great vision of planting 2,000 churches. Wait, wait, wait. He felt he could give, quote-unquote, feet to Greg's vision of planting 2,000 churches. Yes, yes. So at least they're aware of, like, metaphors and stuff like that. <laughs> I, I guessed. So this is the third catalyst. Catalyst oh, three. Okay. Uh, enter Rick Bezet and Chris Hodges. Pastors out of the Bethany World Prayer Center. These guys were setting out to plant churches in Little Rock, Arkansas, and Birmingham, Alabama, respectively. The problem, they needed money and a workable model. Ugh, well, so, at least they're honest. They need money. Yeah. So, great ARC in action. We're going further down the story of ARC. So... Greg offered both guys $25,000 to fund their plants and any monthly support needed to meet budget for their first year, a safety net that bolstered the confidence in church planting. Going forward, Greg asked Rick and Chris to invest that same amount back into other church planters. Rick and Chris went on to plant their churches on the same day, February 4th, 2001. Their successful launches and subsequent growth became the model for future ARC church plants. By the following year, other church planters were, quote, reusing, unquote, the money originally funded to Rick and Chris. Add Dino Rizzo and Scott Hornsby to the mix, and you have the six, quote, founders, unquote, of ARC. Sorry, so, pause. We got a model here. We got a working so model. So, Greg... Here. Greg gives both guys. So Greg gave Bill Hor Billy Hornsby and Rick Bezit and Chris Hodges. Well, who are both guys? There are three guys. Um, I think he gave it to Rick Bezit and Chris Hodges, right? Oh, so he gives them twenty five thousand dollars. All right, where is this money coming from? Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> This guy just happened to have 50 grand laying around. I'm, and he's like, you know, I'm going to give it to my two buds. That's a lot of money, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For and To cover the expenses and budget for an entire year for two churches, that's pretty crazy. 
Um, and then when these churches were, you know, pretty well established, they start, you know, sending their money back to, I guess, uh, Greg. Yeah. Is this a loan? Are they required? Is there a contract involved? This yeah. guy's just giving people $25,000 with no written contract that can be legally enforced. Is there like any interest attached to that money? It's unknown. Um, the website doesn't say. Just like a medical bill? <laughs> you know I don't know. Say? Where you pay like 25 a month? <laughs> but these two other guys, Dino Rizzo and Scott Hornsby, come into mix, and they don't really explain what they do. <laughs> oh, and I heard D- Dino Rizzo or Rizzo, and I'm thinking, oh, that sounds Italian. That's a very Italian man. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh. <laughs> so, Billy Hornsby as president. So, Billy took the helm as ARC's leader from 2001 to 2011. Billy had a knack for building organizations with financial strength, and he attracted other pastors and churches to become part of the new network. He also carried an important value that became part of ARC's DNA, valuing the little guy. So we have small business here? Oh, yes, of course. Billy saw that many church planters found themselves on their own. Billy believed in those guys. He was a friend that resourced them with training and funding and ensured their strong start. Billy became a father and friend to pastors everywhere. Gail Bennett, his assistant and the, quote, check lady, unquote, of ARC, quickly became their best friend as well. ARC's growth in the early years was slow yet strong, averaging a few churches a year. In 2006, ARC planted nine churches. In 2007, there were 16 more. 2008 saw 25 more, and by 2009, ARC was averaging around 50 new plants a year. With a more developed structure, ARC is now training and coaching hundreds of church planters every year. In the fall of 2010, Billy Hornsby was diagnosed with terminal cancer. On March 23rd, 2011, he went to be with the Lord. ARC and many in the church world were deeply saddened by the loss. Um... But yeah, I guess that was the end of the Billy Hornsby era of ARC. Well, so here's the, like, go back to that third paragraph there. In 2006, ARC planted nine churches, and by 2009, ARC was averaging 50 new plants a year. Yeah. This model of perpetual growth, or is that the word perpetual growth? I guess you could say exponential growth. Exponential, that's what I meant. Exponential. Mm-hmm. Well, perpetual also makes sense there too. But anyway, this model is very corporate in nature where you want to grow your business constantly. If you're not innovating for a corporation, you're dying. So constant innovation, constant growth. This is corporate. Mm-hmm. So there's, your, there's one clue here to what ARC is about. Well, many clues, but what the hell is up with this story? I'm still curious where they got the money for this stuff. You mean where Greg got the money? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the $25,000 to fund uh, those two guys' church plants and also monthly support needed to meet the budget? Yeah, it's just... Where is where, Money don't grow from trees. It yeah. don't come out of your ass. Where's it coming? Yeah, I want to know who this 
Because it all starts with Greg Surratt having all this money, right? So I'm like, where did where did this man get this money? Where where you get your money, man? And I'm looking him up. I all I can see is like the Seacoast Church. I mean, he's an author apparently. Uh, he's listed on some of church websites. Um, gosh, I don't. Yeah, unless he got that. Is it even possible that he could have like used tithing money to give that to them? Or I don't, I don't know. It's it is it is thus unknown where the Greg Surratt fellow got his bucks. Um, that got this gravy train rolling. So, but now ARC has pretty much a global reach at this point. There's actually a section here, ARC Today, on their website. Uh, today, some of ARC's church plants have become the largest and fastest growing churches in the United States. Thousands of people make a decision to follow Christ and are baptized in ARC church plants every year. ARC church plants give over $15 million each year to missions. ARC's global impact is, is growing rapidly through hubs like ARC Ireland, ARC Australia, ARC Canada, ARC South Africa, ARC Netherlands, ARC Italy, ARC Asia, you know, the big, the one country Asia, and ARC Brazil, and, and more being formed continually. Having planted over 600 churches with hundreds more partner churches, ARC has not only become a movement, but a collection of many, quote, tribes, unquote, all with a focus to see a life-giving church in every community in the world. That's a lot. That's a lot of churches, you know, popping up and giving them money. I'm astounded by this, man. I really am. What? Yeah, because I would imagine, let's say, and remind you, Rock City Church is started as an ARC church plant. Um, Pastor Chad likely went through the same application process as many of these other church plants went through. So... It's, yeah, the money probably going back is just, it's, it is in the, it's in the millions. ARC church plants give over 15 million each year to mission. Well, that's just to missions. Yeah. <laughs> that's just, yeah, it's just how much does ARC like, like pocket? Because, yeah, ARC has to be like pocketing some money just to function, right? They have to. I mean, think about it too. And here's another issue too about the corporate church. So I actually was interested in this. So I asked this question here. Uh, so a church can't sell securities, securities being stuff like stocks, bonds funds, etc. Right. So investment, investment vehicles, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But like for example, you can't buy stock into a church. Churches are nonprofit organizations that don't issue stock. Mm-hmm. But but can a nonprofit organ well can a church buy investments like stocks, bonds and funds? And the answer that I'm getting, and I'm on NASDAQ.com, um, 
where the the article is called "Can a Nonprofit Organization Invest in Stock?" And the answer is yes. And that's from Nasdaq.com. So I'm wondering too, does ARC consider themselves a church? So very because here's an issue too. Names. What's a name? Well, a name means a lot. Is it a church? Is it a nonprofit? What are we going by here? So yeah. that's what I'm wondering too about this one. Mm-hmm. Because ideally, what you'd want to do is you want to grow your quote unquote, I'm using quote unquote, your quote unquote nest eggs. And one of the ways you can do that is by investing your money into securities. Yeah. Especially in the financial economy that we have. So that's one thing that I would like to learn more about ARC is their investment. Where are their investments? Right. And I think the best way we could explore that is going to the ministry partners page. Okay. Uh, I have it up on my end. Do you need me to give you the link? No, I got it. Oh, cool, cool. So, yeah. Uh, So... On their website, on ARC's website anyway, there is a section titled Ministry Partners. So let's see here. Our partners in ministry, at ARC, we believe in not doing ministry alone since we have some, oh, hold on. So we have, ah, having an audio error error on my end. Oh, okay. Okay, that's better. Got that fixed. (laughs) So anyway, uh, at ARC, we believe in not doing ministry alone. So we have some great ministry partners that we work together with. These are men and women in organizations that believe in you, the church planter, and invest eagerly to help us provide the best resources possible to our church planters. They are committed to building the kingdom above all else, and we are proud to partner with them in ministry. So is is AMC Theaters? <laughs> Yeah, that's the first one. That's the first one here in our partners of ministry, AMC, and below AMC is a building and venue. Yeah. So yeah. I guess you can contact AMC if you're a church planter and go up to AMC and like, hey, AMC, may I use your uh, building for church? Yeah, it looks like you can arrange a deal with them and they'll they'll, they'll happily do it. Um, but yeah, on their website, they have like dozens of partners. Um, some are about buildings, venues. There's a lot that are involved with marketing and advertising, church resources, global missions, and outreach, um, design, architecture, coaching. But what we're most interested in 63 to be exact, there are 63 partners that they give here. Oh yeah. Uh, actually I just noticed too, they have a ministry school Bible college that they're affiliated with Highlands college. Is a biblical higher education institution that exists to supply church leaders, uh, the church with leaders to fill the Great Commission. Okay. Interesting. I think that's not what we're looking for, though. So I'm seeing some names on here for the uh, finance sections. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, let's see here, DECA, a finance company. Let's see what let's see what DECA does. Uh, All right. Sudden, see, we strive to understand every nonprofit and equip them with the processing tools to simplify their giving and or payment processes. Uh, okay, let's see. 
what else do they have here listed under finance? Gosh, so much. Because there's another one, enjoy stewardship solutions. What do these folks do? So enjoy stewardship solutions was founded in 1992 by number one leadership expert, Dr. John C. Maxwell. We've yeah, we partner with pastors and churches to fund the vision God has given them through customized, customized church capital campaigns to fund new facilities, uplift existing facilities, buy land, and pay off debt. Uh, more than 4,500 churches what? have raised more than $4.5 to fund their God-given vision. If your church is preparing to take on a major project, make sure to have a conversation with stewardship. This is a This is interesting. I didn't see this one before. What pay off debt? It's interesting. Yeah, what what capital campaigns? That's so I'm on the Enjoy Stewardship website now. I'm looking at the capital campaigns, like and oh it explains what it is. What is a capital campaign in a church? Uh we define a church capital campaign as any kind of generosity initiative that is going to require significant capital to be raised and beyond regular giving and normal tithes and offerings. Okay, so this is like extra, extra ways the church can earn money? Uh, Interesting. Yeah, how a church earns money. So is a capital campaign just a fundraiser? While many might say yes, we believe that in a truly successful capital campaign, people go on a spiritual journey that helps them connect to the generous heart of God. God then moves in the hearts of people, making them generous and fully fund your church's mission and vision. The key the phrase heart of God. <laughs> The key phrase here is quote spiritual journey unquote. We believe that a capital campaign is more than just about money. It's about seeing people's lives changed and transformed. Uh, are you sure about that? Because <laughs> it, it sounds like it's about, it's literally in the name, a capital campaign. <laughs> uh, okay. I didn't even know this was a thing. Uh, there's actually a section in here that says, are church capital campaigns biblical? <laughs> <laughs> That's been quite before. That's why. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So. This is big business, man. Big business. Yeah, this sounds just basically like a fundraiser, but with extra steps. How to get the most money out of people. How to get people to give the most money out to you possible. So that's enjoys. That's one of the partners of ARC. Uh, wow, I did not even see that before. That's interesting. Um, what else do they have here? Uh, there's Insurance Office of America for Risk Management. What's that do? Offers risk management. Wait a minute. Risk management. Risk. Risk. Investing? Like property. Well, hold on here. AOI offers commercial insurance products such as property insurance, general liability, professional liability, automobile, umbrella, umbrella, health insurance, and much more. Uh we place insurance for churches. Oh, it's an insurance company. Okay. So, my God, yeah. Well, I can kind of see a church having insurance, though, because they can't, oh, yeah. what, can they get, yeah. Yeah, when you have, like, a lot of property and assets, I mean, and a lot of people working for you, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, it's going to, you're going to want that eventually. 
Um, I'm looking at another one here too in the finance section. Uh, ECFA. I have no idea what ECFA is or does, but let's take a gander. Enhancing trust in churches, ECFA. Um, about ECFA, what do these? What do they do? Um, there's a video on here, but I really just want to read something. I don't want to play a video. Um, so on ARC's website, anyway, founded in 1979, ECFA certifies churches and ministries for financial integrity based on their commitment to high standards in financial management, governance, and stewardship. Today, over 2,000 Christ-centered organizations are certified members of ECFA, including many of the largest and fastest growing evangelical churches in the United States. Additionally, ECFA equips all churches and ministries to demonstrate excellence and integrity through creating resources and learning opportunities focused on finance, tax, legal issues, and more. Okay. But the, the term finance is just confusing to me here. Yeah. Because I'm thinking finance in respect to finance and respect to investments, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I so, think I, I, it's very problematic to me if, if a church is involved in the stock market, the bond market, the, um, the index market, index the fund market rather, index fund, mutual fund, etc. Because what that is, it's it's essentially gambling. Think of it; it's essentially gambling. Yeah. So because what you're doing is you're gambling. So your investment, like, let's go with the very basic, even though this really is too basic for my 21st century America. But let's go with stocks. Mm-hmm. When you buy stocks, you're gambling essentially that the price of that stock is going to rise. So that you can make money by selling it when the price rises. So that, I mean, it's gambling. It's gambling, plain, plain and simple. Same thing with bonds, right? I buy a bond for this and I want to trade it on the uh, gambling that the price is going to go up. Mm-hmm. So it, this is very scary. Very scary, at least to me, uh, if, if we're talking about investing in securities. Yeah. Um, I'm on the ECFA website and I'm underneath their standards, the ECFA standards. So standard one is one that really caught my eye here. And I think it really kind of speaks to the nature of ARC and by extension Rock City. So standard one, doctrinal issues. Every organization shall subscribe to a written statement of faith, clearly affirming a commitment to the evangelical Christian faith, or shall otherwise demonstrate such commitment, and shall operate in accordance with biblical truths and practices. Um, that's interesting. I'm eager, yeah, I'm eager to go to the view commentary. What is that? Oh, the commentary is the standards. Yeah. And like... So evangelical Christian faith, does that mean it's exclusive to churches within the evangelical movement? Is it, what does that mean? Uh, I think it means you have to believe in these things. If you go to view commentary, 
whether an organization subscribes to a written statement of faith or otherwise demonstrates such commitment, ECFA identifies the following essential elements undergirding the evangelical, evangelical Christian faith. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it has these seven, um, these seven tenets. Yeah. There's a summary actually underneath all of it at the very bottom here. A member's commitment to the evangelical Christian faith is the cornerstone of ECFA membership. The word, quote, evangelical, unquote, connotes more than a mere subscription to a doctrinal statement. It includes commitment to an ethical and moral lifestyle that seeks to conform to a biblical norm. It is the lifestyle envisioned in ECFA's own statement of faith. We believe in the present ministry of the Holy Spirit, by whose indwelling the Christian is enabled to live a godly life. Both Christians and secular society often do not distinguish between financial and non-financial issues. A moral scandal would be just as devastating as a financial scandal to the credibility of the organization. That's weird that they make the distinction between a moral scandal and a financial scandal. Yeah. That is very, very telling for our times. Yeah. Modern day financial America. Yeah. But I think (laughs) that is one of the indicators that ARC is pretty much uh, affiliated with the evangelical movement. Not, yes. n- not a big surprise there. Uh, let's look at another partner of ARC. Uh, Mortar Stone. It's, an, it's another finance partner. Sounds like a heavy metal band, Mortar Stone. Yeah, like a Christian metal band. <laughs> so Mortar Stone <laughs> is the tool that unleashes the generosity in your church. With over 40... Comprehensive analytical reports and tracking measures, you can quickly identify givers and make discipleship connections that increase giving and grow engagement. Mortar Stone has been trusted by 1,500 churches to raise over $15 billion in giving. God. Wow. I think that kind of speaks for itself. (laughs) Yeah. At least generosity in your church. Yeah. I'm on the website. Oh my god! For more, look at the look at the lady. The ministry partner contact. Yeah, Nikki Flaming. Nikki Flaming. That's awesome. That sounds like the fucking. That sounds like the front person for a rock band. Nikki Flaming. Yeah, but I'm interested in her title. Below her title, it's called generos. Her title is called generosity advisor. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that was a job title. Yeah. What is I that? guess when you can create your own businesses and have these you can have any job title you want. Yeah, you can you, you essentially can. And on Mortar Stone's website, they're affiliated with a lot of churches. First First Baptist Dallas Church, uh the Church of the Incarnation, the Oaks Fellowship. Uh I don't know if these names are supposed to mean anything to anybody. Lake Point Church, Bayside Church, Church of 1122. Uh, I don't know. I don't know any of these, but they all look like they, some of these, their branding looks like it could probably be like ARC affiliated. We help churches of all sizes grow givers and increase giving. Billions of dollars, millions of givers, thousands of churches. It's what we do and we can help you. <laughs> That sounds fake. Make uh, that money. Milk it. Fucking milk it. Um, what does Accelerate do? Another finance partner. Oh, yeah. 
Accelerate Business Solutions is about keeping pastors and ministry leaders on the road to their passions and calling. We provide business and accounting solutions, which is our passion, so we can engage with yours. We understand church planting because the owners were, were church planters from 2000 to 2011. We love helping churches start off on the right financial foot. Email us to get a copy of our free church planting uh, financial toolkit. Um, what is Accelerate? What kind of services? Is it like accounting? Um, okay. Go to their about page. Accelerate, but X. <laughs> Live in freedom. Unshackle. Accelerate Business Solutions is different from other accounting firms. Oh, it's an accounting firm. Okay. It's about rediscovering passion. It's about realizing dreams. It's also about your money. Okay. Uh, let's see. What do they, we wanted Accelerate to serve multiple purposes, to create a company that values family and time, offers grants to others that are helping families thrive, leverage technology to make all our lives efficient, and create a participation age culture. Um, I'm more interested in their services. Uh, it's very vague. Yeah. So they create, do you despise dealing with finances? Of course I do. We'll do it for you. We'll dig into the details and shine light in your company's complete financial picture. We take we'll on the burdens on. you don't want to carry alone. We invoice customers. We pay bills. We reconcile your accounts. We create budgets yeah. and we create successful solutions along the way. Uh, wow. Okay. So that's what they do. So mostly accounting solutions and stuff like that. Um, but the most interesting one of all, I think there's another finance partner too, but the Wesleyan investment foundation. Well, it's, it's also too, this is the only one with the, that has church. It's under the title church lending. Yeah. That's the only, so of all the uh, categorizations of these companies, church, this is the only categorization of church lending. Yeah. So uh, on the website here, it says WIF, Wesleyan Investment Foundation, offers loans to churches and church-related organizations, as well as faith-based savings opportunities at competitive rates with flexible terms and structure. So... Basically, it's a go to the website here. And they got some decent like uh, APR rates, percentages. They're not too bad. Um, so basically, I think you can just get loans throughout these folks. Uh, start investing, start investing, start investing. Um, so yeah, they offer loans and investments. Well, let's see what they have for the investments. Why invest with us? We are dedicated to building the kingdom. What if your investments were dedicated to that as well? Each dollar invested in Wesleyan Investment Foundation is used to provide loan assistance to churches and church-related organizations and for other investment purposes, all as described in our offering circular. Where the fuck that is? Our loans... I need to find that. Yeah. Our loans help churches expand their facilities and be better equipped to reach their communities for Christ. When you invest with WIF, you invest in the lives of people. We are committed to serving and impacting people's lives for the kingdom. 
So yeah, you can get some investments for these people, but but what kind, I wonder. So the every dollar invested in WF is used to provide loan assistance to churches and church-related organizations and for other investment purposes. <laughs> so Okay. So the investments are going into loans, essentially. Well, think about this, though. Think about this. Uh, so, and loans. If a church can buy, if a church can buy stocks or bonds, then they can essentially own a company. If they own the majority of the stocks, and as we've learned in the 1980s, the majority of the bonds of a company. Yeah. Um, that's troublesome. That is troublesome. Yeah. I mean, well, a lot of churches do it, uh, especially the Church of Latter-day Saints in particular. But let's take a gander. Let's look at a little more at the Wesleyan Investment Foundation. That is the only organization listed as a church lending partner to ARC. Um, like one of the first things uh, that I see here is the Better Business Bureau. And if you go to the Better Business Bureau, um, it's got an A-plus rating, but the business is not BBB accredited. Uh, so what else do we have here? Current alerts for this business. Government action. Order to cease and desist. Order for administrative penalties and consent to same by Wesleyan Investment Foundation Incorporated. Um, oh, there's a backstory too. So on September 18th, yeah, what is this? yeah, on the Better Business Bureau for Wesleyan Investment Foundation. Yeah. Yeah. On September 18, 2018, the Wesleyan Investment Foundation Inc. and Indiana Corporation entered into a order to cease and desist, order for administrative penalties, and consent the same with the Arizona Corporation Commission. The order settles allegations that Wesleyan Investment Foundation Incorporated violated ARS Statute 4411841 by offering or selling securities that were neither registered nor exempt from registration in Arizona. Additionally, Wesleyan Investment Foundation Incorporated violated ARS 44-1842 by offering or selling securities while neither registered as dealers or salesmen, nor exempt from registration. Under terms of the order, Wesleyan Investment Foundation and any of its agents, employees, successors, and assigns permanently cease and desist from violating the Arizona Securities Act. Um, yeah, and yeah. It looks I, think I, know what's, I think I know what's going on. Um, it, mm -hmm. I'm at um, their... About uh, about page for Wesleyan Investment Foundations about WIF. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they're so they're a nonprofit uh, corporation. So that means that they can't they can't set they can't publicly trade their company. Okay. So yeah, let me go back here. So they can't publicly. So they so they can't basically 
offer stocks of their company or shares of their company to the public and bonds of their company. Well, I wonder if bonds works differently too. And so if you go down here on that page to our investments, the first paragraph says, we currently have more than 9,000 investors who have come to trust WIF as their faith-based investment organization. In our 74 years of operation, WIF has never missed an interest payment and has honored every investor's request for a withdrawal. So what that tells me is that this company is an investment bank. So it's nonprofit. So that means that what they're doing is they're taking the people who give them, give them money and they're taking that money and investing it for those people yeah. into, th into securities. Right. And loans count as securities, right? I don't know. Well, let's find yeah, out. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'd imagine they do. Yeah. So, and so it says they've never missed an interest payment. So, and they've honored every investor's request for request for a withdrawal. So that tells me that they, you know, so, so people or churches, entire churches come to them and give them money to invest and the people at WIF invest their invest their clients' money mm -hmm. and pay their clients interest payments or dividends, if I'm not mistaken, there um, for that money that the clients invested. Yeah, I'm I'm reading it up. I don't think loans okay. technically. I don't think they actually count as securities for some reason. Mostly in courts, it looks like, which is very confusing. Uh, but do investments count? Well, an investment is a security. I mean, investments being stocks, bonds, funds, etc. Okay, okay, that makes sense then. And I think too, where a lot of confusion for you and I is that the financial world of the 21st century is so, so complex. Yeah. And there's so much confusion around it because it's so hard to understand. You know, it, this economy, it's not our grandparents, oh, we're going to invest some stock into this manufacturing company. It's not the 50s or 60s. This stuff, in the 1980s, for example, you've had the innovation of mortgage-backed securities and junk bonds. And today, what's really happening, um, what's really popping are index funds. Mm -hmm. And this kind of stuff is like so, so complex and complicated. Uh, it's hard for us average everyday people to understand. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's deliberately like that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's literally making money out of, I mean, it's, it's legalized gambling. That's. Yeah. So, that, but that's an entire another episode. I think this is pretty much. I think all these financial partners and including the WIF, I think these are pretty much just some of the many resources that if you're a church planter that you can go to that ARC uh, provides. So if you're starting an ARC affiliated church, then, and you're doing all the things you need to, you check off all the boxes, you can if you want to get loans, you could go to the WIF. If you want to uh, invest, 
money, you can do that through WIF. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is all kind of sound to me like small businesses, man. Yeah. I'm going to take out a loan to start my small business. Mm -hmm. <sighs> so man, this is scary, scary. Yeah. Especially the thing that bothers me, especially about this, though, is that there's such a strong financial network behind these organizations that pump out evangelical churches that reach and influence tens of thousands of people, if not millions. Mm -hmm. um, so one last, the last partner I want to look at ARC is the Highlands College. So what is Highlands College all about? What's the category of it? Um, it just says ministry school, Bible college. I think it's the only one that I think it's the only one on here that has that on here, listed under that category. Uh, okay. yeah. Oh no, there's two of them actually. There's yeah, I'm a, yeah. They have emotions. Well, yeah. All together. Like, I just kind of want to know what, ideologically what kind of pastors are these schools churning out and i got a feeling it's not good <laughs> got a feeling it's probably not really great um so highlands uh let's see is there an about page yes there is mission statement Highlands College is a biblical higher education institution that exists to supply the church with leaders of competence, character, and spiritual maturity, holistically trained to lead lives of eternal impact by fulfilling the Great Commission. Well, I'm not sure if, I don't think Pastor Chad went through this one then. <laughs> uh, like, okay, so it's, it's, a, it's a Bible college. Um, let's look at some of their programs. Uh, there's the traditional program and the evening program. Uh, let's go through traditional. That seems to be, come on, let, let me see some degrees. There's academics and then there's ministry training. Jeez. Um, program options, Highlands College Associate Degree, which is earn an Associate of Arts in Ministry Leadership, uh, complete 64 hours taught by qualified instructors, uh, 4,200 per semester, 16,000 two-year investment. And then they have an another associate degree, the SEU associate, or an associate's degree in Christian ministry or pursue a bachelor of science degree in Christian ministry. What the fuck is a bachelor of science degree in Christian ministry? Excuse me? What the fuck is that? Well, are they teaching biology too? What? Okay, in partnership with Southeastern University SEU, which is accredited by Southern Association of Colleges and Schools, Commission on Colleges, uh, complete 62 hours, top blah, blah, blah. Uh, okay, ministry work. This one's actually more expensive. What the fuck? Earn estimated <laughs> 7,000 7, per semester for 15 credit hours, which is typical. Uh, a two-year investment of $28,500. <laughs> wow. Jimmy Christmas. What are the review? What the fuck are the reviews? And a s fucking science degree in Christian ministry? I don't believe that bullshit. Highlands College. 
give me the fucking reviews for this school. Like, I can't imagine this is particularly highly rated. Um, wait a second here. I'm on Google Maps, okay? So they're in Birmingham, Alabama. They're right. They're practically right next to the headquarters, or at least the a branch office of ARC. They're oh, right wow. fucking next to each other, essentially. Oh wow! Wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm like okay, okay, yeah. They're also right next to. Okay, they're on like a boulevard. It's like one big street. So from Cahaba Valley Road, you 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 go, you turn onto Lee Branch Lane. There's ARC. You keep going. If you drive past it, keep going straight. There's the Church of the Highlands Greystone Campus, and right on there is Highlands College. Uh, what is the Church of the Highlands all about? Uh, <laughs> there's so many different weird connections well what we're getting here is a web man yeah this is a web yeah what religion it's a nomin church of the highlands is non-denominational and probably evangelical um church of the highlands actually not the college which i guess is directly associated with them um let's see there's a wikipedia page church of the highlands uh, affiliated with ARC. Uh, let's see. God, I hate, I hate the term non-denominational because usually it's, it feels like a cover for evangelical, which we've well, kind yeah, of, it's, it's what you talked about having your mask on non-denominational. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, yeah. Cause I think evangelical has certain connotations world non-denominational is more vague and you could probably attract a higher rate of people to your church. Um, but yeah, that's in Hoover, Alabama Highlands college. So that doesn't sound like a indoctrination factory. No siree, Bob. Oh, no. I mean, if you look at, uh, the academics and their foundational courses, I mean, yeah, look, look at this for society, right? This course will reveal the impact the societies and groups have on individuals, as well as the role that individuals have in influencing groups and societies. Sociological theories and concepts are explored with an emphasis on culture, socialization, social institutions, social processes, and change. Get, get through a Christian worldview. Get the fuck out of here. Get out of here. You yeah. can't learn. I'm sure you're going to get a good, a very unbiased teaching about Marx and their sociology. Oh, yeah. Sure, that's not going to have any bias or anything there. Wow. Yeah. This is all part of the larger network that Rock City Church is affiliated with. This is a, not a network, but a bubble. I mean, yeah. this is a bubble. You don't have to leave this bubble. We got a college from a Christian worldview. We've got financial institutions from a Christian worldview. We've got a church. We've got a church planter. This is a bubble, man. Yeah. I'm also looking at the, what is it? The other one, Motion Student Conference that they're affiliated with. Also in Birmingham, Alabama. It's always, a, yeah, all roads lead to fucking Birmingham. 
Motion is a local church student conference that is founded on the belief that our faith is not meant to be idle, hidden, or contained, but instead lived out in motion in Christ. Um, okay, so it's a basically like a big old Christian student conference. Wow. Okay, that's interesting. But yeah, I think we should probably reach the final part of this conversation and looking at the finances of Rock City. Well, and how the, yeah, the finances are tied to ARC. Yeah, so. Because here's the, the reason why we took everybody through this ride, this experience, this modus, if you will, is uh, to show you how, who's backing whom. So to show you that. So what we're going to do now is turn here to the year nine annual report of Rock City. And we get even a further, uh, we get even more of a picture. Oh, yeah. So first, let's talk about how people can access this annual report. Yeah, you can find it directly on their website. Um, It's publicly available. So you go to the homepage, you will find it in the menu tab. Uh, if you scroll down, once the menu is open, you will see the under the Give Online section, of course, Give Online is first, the annual <laughs> report. So, yeah, so rockcitychurch.tv, and then in the menu section at the top right, the menu, um, Give Online, under Give Online, annual report. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to tell you what, the, pe- the people who make this website and the people who made this report, man, they, they're pretty talented people. I mean, you know more than I do because that's kind of oh, like your area. This is, but. this is excellent design. I, I, can't, yeah. I can't compete with this. And, uh, yeah, so in this Give Online report, it's pretty, uh, pretty cool uh, design, like you said, because well, one of the reasons that makes it cool also is it's, I mean, it's a book format. You click on the next page, you click on the next arrow, and a page turns in the design. It's pretty cool. Yeah, you can tell they pr- they have a print version of this, too. Um, if we go, they have a, one section titled, The Numbers. The Numbers. <laughs> the Numbers. <laughs> Each, every number has a name. Every name has a story. And every story matters to God. That's like the opposite of when Joseph Stalin said that the death of one man is a tragedy, but the death of a million is a statistic. Um, Okay. So on page eight through nine, uh, there's a section with on the right, on the left hand, we get some numbers. Total decisions for Jesus in year nine, which I'm going to guess total decisions for Jesus are uh, conversions. Uh, So for year nine alone, we're looking at 9,000 people that made the decision to follow Christ. Since they launched a decade ago, that number total is 23,389 people. So around 23,000 folks have accepted Jesus through this church. It's quite some influence. Go to the next page, uh, 10 through 11. There's a attendance section the average weekly in-person attendance. And this is, we're only covering this really just to give you a good idea of how big the audience is in this church. You know what? We need to have like that church music playing in the background. You know, that emotional, 
I should add that post. (laughs) I think I'll add it into the edit after this. (laughs) The piano. (laughs) Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, we have average weekly in-person attendance from January to February, 5,658. Yeah, it's a a lot. Just and the in 2020, January through February, their attendance, uh, it looks like most of it is from virtual because of the pandemic, of course. Um, yeah, through that month, it was like 5,600 people. Yeah, 5,600 people in one month attended virtually. Or or was this? No, no that's in person. 5,600 people attended in person January through February 2020. Okay, the virtual audience is way bigger, of course. Uh so the 2020 virtual audience, the average weekly virtual attendance rate, 22,000 people. Yeah. Just in 2020. The total virtual attendance they had, I think, period, is like 527,000 people. So hundreds of thousands of people total, since 2011 anyway, have attended virtually. But the average, the average weekly virtual attendance is 22,000 in 2020. That's a, that's a lot of influence. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of eyeballs. That's a lot of eager beavers. Yeah, I guess they're called influencers. Yeah. And skip ahead. There's a volunteer section, uh, which kind of tells you, I I guess this is, you know, giving you an impression of their influence, their their reach, the scale. Uh, you know, their volunteers, people serving on the volunteer teams around 2,000, 2,259. Small groups, p- people participating in small groups, 3,220. Uh, growth track, people who participated in their growth track programs, wherever the hell that is. It's uh, 5,800. Total in-person attendance for RC Rock City kids. Um, I don't know if that's a volunteer thing. I'm sure it's a volunteer thing. Uh, total in-person attendance, 30,000. First-time kids, 1,800. Total virtual attendance, 3,500. 3, oh, my goodness. Yeah. We're talking about tens of thousands of people at most. Oh, yeah. But on average, we're talking about maybe on the high end to 5,000 on the low end to 1000. So there's the bat there's a page entitled baptisms year 9 baptisms uh 895 people in one year got baptized through this church baptisms since their launch 3064 okay so yeah they have the christmas attendance which we're not going to skip cuz we already have a pretty good idea Jesus, their Easter, their Easter 2020 attendance online and on ABC Six. I didn't know they were on television. <laughs> oh yeah, they they're they get airtime too. They probably pay out the wazoo for airtime. Airtime is super expensive. Um, fifty three thousand seven hundred ninety two people online and through ABC Six attended their Easter 2020. Uh, they do a lot of work in prisons because you know when you're when you're in prison, what else do you have to do? 
<laughs> oh, the prison. Oh, dude. Chas, Pastor Chad's always saying, hey, everybody. He's always saying, like, hey, what's up to everybody in whatever correctional facility? Shout out to everyone in the correctional facilities. <laughs> there's a picture. Yeah, there's a picture of him baptizing some dudes in a, in a jail yard. <laughs> jail yard, yeah. Yeah, they absolutely love doing the whole prison evangelical oh, stuff. Dude, Christians love prisoners, man. Oh, God, yeah. It's not That's just all evangelical Christians, dude. Prisoners. They love prisoners. Yeah. They're at their mercy. Shit. Prison locations, <laughs> in person Ohio prison locations, just like three of them. Virtual prison locations, 26. Uh, average weekly attendance, 275. Uh, prisoners who have access to Rock City worship experiences, over 500,000. Now, these are like comparing their pre COVID and their post COVID numbers. Um, their post COVID numbers are fucking massive in terms of their growth. <laughs> absolutely insane um but now yeah and the rest of this is usually like charity stuff um just events stuff they've done in the community which is it's pretty cool stuff um not too fond of the ministry shit i think you can help people out without pushing jesus down their throats um yeah but at least people are getting some help you know yeah i'm not gonna shit on that's that. good I, I have a lot of beasts of missionary work. I think it's colonial shit, but oh yeah. Uh, but what we're really looking for is the finances, the money. Yeah, show me the money. Yeah. So starting on page forty-five here, there is a section titled ARC oh, yeah. Association there of Related Churches. The Association of Re- Related Churches ARC works with church planners and leaders to provide support, guidance, and resources to launch and grow life-giving churches. As one of the original supporters of Rock City Church, we are committed to, quote, paying it forward, unquote, by helping ARC fund new church plants around the world. So, getting some money here. Uh, Break down those numbers. I got my calculator out. All right. This is interesting stuff right Okay. All right. $156,800 given to ARC by Rock City Church in year nine to plant new life-giving churches. So that's just for year nine. The total amount that they've given since their establishment to ARC by Rock City Church is $782,222. So Let's, let's pause right there. I don't like that word given. Because given kind of given implies, hey, I gave this of my free will. What's the what's the contract here? Don't ARC is not just not going to give anybody money with no strings attached. I'd imagine not. Yeah. Yeah. So there has to there. I mean, there has to be something that can be legally enforced. Yeah. Like but a, a contract. It's there all vague. It's all just yeah. fucking vague. And ARC at a glance is on the same section here. Uh, ARC churches planted to date 874. I think that's globally. Uh, so that's imagine if these if this number was a representative sample of the money yeah. that is going back to ARC. Well, yeah, let's let's calculate that though real quick here. Yeah. So, so, so 156 thousand dollars. And eight hundred fifty-six thousand eight hundred dollars. Yeah, for a year, for one year. 
Let's times that by the number of ARC churches planted to date. So I'm going to times $156,800 times $874. And what I have is $137 million. That's in it. I'm, and I'm assuming that all those 108, all those 874 churches are giving on average $156,800. Yeah. And we're not saying so, this is representative yeah. by any means. We don't know that, but yeah, we don't know that, but let's, but, and so that's $137 million. Mm-hmm. So that I'm, Assuming the ARC has gotten in a year? Yeah, yeah. 156, is, yeah, that's what Rock City gave in year nine to ARC to plant new life-giving churches. So, yeah, if that if that rate continues, it's, it's exponential. The money Absolutely. and the growth is exponential. Um... I mean, this is sounding like a, you know, this is, this is sounding like the, <laughs> this is a corporation, I'm telling you. Yeah. So I'm going further into the annual report here. Friends of the house. Uh, we got some, got some guests here. Um, some of them are big in the Christian evangelical world. Um, like Tim Tebow. Looking jacked here. Oh, yeah. This massive Jeez, thing so- of human meat. <laughs> he's made uh one or two appearances at rock city church yeah. um he's so dressed so immodestly too he's got that collar popped open he's got a shirt <laughs> button like who are you you're gonna cause very faithful <laughs> women to 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 you're luring them into sin fucking cover up <laughs> got guys like sam collar elite dominic kyle i don't know if these names are supposed to mean anything to anybody uh, one of the, of the repeated guests is Coach Urban, former coach Urban Meyer, uh, used to be coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes, the football team. Now, I think the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, yeah. The NFL. Yeah, guys like Jimmy Rollins, Brandy Barber, and they actually had a guest, uh, Dr. Bernice King, you know, related to Dr. Martin Luther King. I don't know if that's like a daughter or granddaughter. Uh, let me... Dr. Manise King. I need to look this one up. I don't know how she's related to Dr. Martin Luther King. Well, uh, why do you do that? Uh, just, I, I can't imagine these people would do this for a pro bono. For free. You know, for yeah. free, yeah. Yeah. I'd imagine they're at least making at least five figures, at least 10000 or above dollars. I can't imagine Tim Tebow would just like, yeah, I'll totally come and talk for nothing. Uh, oh, dude, I used to love Tim Tebow when I was a Christian. Yeah. But yeah, Bernice, Dr. Bernice King is the youngest child of uh, Martin Luther King and Coretta oh. Scott King. So, yeah, this this is a church that brings in some big names here. Big old names. And there's the outreach section, which covers, you know, their presence on social media. Oh, um, God. So, oh yeah. God. Rock City Church has been recognized as one of the fastest growing churches in America for the eighth consecutive year. And one of the largest churches in America for the second consecutive year by Outreach Magazine. Uh, fastest gro- growing churches in America. 
uh, ranked 17th and 23rd. I actually really need to read these. These are not really too relevant, to be honest with you. Um, but social media, they actually have some numbers here. Uh, almost 4 million website views, uh, 15,000 Facebook followers, not a whole lot, uh, 40, 4,300 Twitter followers, yeah, 21,000 Instagram followers, 300 YouTube subscribers. That's actually not too impressive. Yeah, 3,000 YouTube subscribers. That's surprisingly not all that impressive, to be honest with you. I don't know. I, I kind of stay away from social media. There's like individual YouTubers who have better, are, you know, reach than that. But I'm surprised by that number. Um, Rock City Worship, their Spotify account. They, they love boasting about that. Uh, the financial <laughs> section. This is the shit we really care about. All right. Let's get to it. So on page 60 and 61 of... The Rock City Year 9 Annual Report is the operational budget. So the operational budget is the money. I believe this is the money that they spent. I think this is the money that they spent. Okay. Yeah. It's very... So for... Well, yeah. So operational budget, they have one, two, three, four. They have four categories. And we're assuming that this is the money that they spent, yeah. right? Okay. All right. So that first category there, ministry operations. Um, so what is ministry operations? Well, they actually do a good job of giving us, uh, giving us an account of what it is. So according to this here, ministry operations is something called future fund and savings that sounds like an investment administration accounting services youth and middle school um stuff like that worship experiences uh we can worship experience print materials locations small groups growth track creative arts etc and the ministry operations accounts for 33.6 percent of their budget which is $3.67 million. Yeah. And then you have the other categories too, like staffing, which is 28.8%. We're looking at around three, a little over 3 million in salaries, benefits, stuff like that. Facilities. I was actually surprised that facilities wasn't as, wasn't, higher it's only like 14.9 percent of their budget um remember like a million and a half 1.6 mil and that's like you know the worship and office space debt payoff uh probably for like property stuff facility upkeep and maintenance utilities other facilities trailers and storage and what is called the last one is their beyond our walls program in their budget we're looking at 2.4 million for Things like local and global outreach, domestic, global mission teams, outreach, marketing, outreach, marketing, of course. I knew they had a marketing department. I knew they, they love their marketing. <laughs> Church planting, ARC, missionary support, uh, child sponsorship, legacy initiatives. So all of this culminates in a operational budget of $10.9 million. Yeah. 
And it says it's up. Uh, I'm assuming it's up. It says it's up 35% because it has a little circle next to it with 35% and it has an up arrow next to it. On top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it has what it has like the the total revenue breakdown in year nine. But I'm very confused. I find it a little confusing. Yeah, I am too. Yeah. So is this basically just showing or demonstrating how much of each revenue source contributed to paying this budget? Or... Because they're just saying they broke even, you know? I don't know. It doesn't say that. So it just... It shows there's a there's a graph here, and it shows like three little sections, and the largest one is general revenue, and out of the general general revenue revenue, it shows nine point one million dollars. Did that nine point one cover go into covering the budget? And it's followed by legacy, which is one point four million, and a COVID response. This is the smallest, and it's like two hundred ninety-five thousand. So, it's I'm not totally sure what this really means. Well, revenue um, revenue is your business's income before expenses. Yeah. So, I'm interested in the profit because the profit is going to be the incomes that is going to be the income that remains after all your expenses are counted for. Yeah, but so yeah. This only really tell. I think this only really tells you how much of each of these sections, like the legacy fund and the general revenue stuff, actually went into the budget. I don't think it actually tells you how much they brought in, like if they turned a profit or anything like that. Yeah, like your income. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And because they're Very a 501c3, they don't have to do that. And it doesn't yeah. really... That's it. That's all they have for finances. So how much money they actually brought in for year nine is pretty not clear. Yeah. I never noticed that until now, actually. Yeah. And their bud, their operational budget is the same as their total revenue. Yeah. So I'm thinking this is the stuff that they paid their budget through. Kind of just to show like, what they're using their finances for or what they're using that revenue for. But I'm more interested in the scale of it all. Like nine. Point, how big it is. Yeah. 9.1 million in general revenue. That's fucking crazy. If you ask me, like, why is it a church bringing in $9.1 million? Yeah. A church that's pretty much in bed with the evangelical movement. Big business, man. That's what I'm wondering as well. Yeah, this is like the entire almost two hours we've been talking. We've been exploring how all these different things intersect with each other. These private interests, these nonprofit interests, and essentially these these fucking schools. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Yeah, it's just a whole web. It's like it's like moving your couch and you find like all these spider webs and shit underneath it. But 
I guess if we're going well, to what come- I find what I find especially confusing is that their revenue matches their budget because the revenue yeah. is the income generated from their business operations. Yeah, it's it's really unclear of how how yeah. much they actually have that, and I I find that and you're bothering yeah. me. Yeah, it annoys and your me. Your budget would be what you spent. Yeah. So how's the how are they? This? That means they broke even, right? I mean, what? there's no. I don't think they're breaking even though. <laughs> there's no way. Yeah. There's no way that they're just breaking even because they're giving money to ARC. Remember? Well, that's part of their budget. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So either they're—I don't think it's possible for them to be breaking even because they're expanding into other areas so fucking rapidly. Well, the thing about it is they're not—they're not saying what profit they made. Yeah, it doesn't. The annual report yeah. doesn't list if a profit was made by the church. You know, it's just sure. completely unknown. Yeah. So unknown. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it could be that they're they're breaking even or something, but with given that this church has been around for like ten years and they've expanded so rapidly, their their main facility in Hilliard, Ohio, is fucking massive. Though it's not, it ain't modest. It's you can't miss it when you're there. Hmm. I've never been. You want to describe it? Um, it kind of feels like it's out there. If that makes sense, in the middle of nowhere, mm. I I don't really. It kind of feels like it, you know, but mm-hmm. it's not. It's not really. It's got a lot of space. It takes up a lot of land. Um. Yeah, it's just really, really. It's pretty big. I was gonna say it's pretty fucking big. Um, it's a very expensive setup they have too. But yeah, I guess at the end of the day, though, someone might ask us, well, why do you care about all this? Like, you're not even Christians. Why should you give a shit? They're not funding Al Qaeda, are they? (laughs) Or ISIS (laughs) or whatever the fuck, whatever kind of militias and shit Christian churches like to fund. So I guess we should ask ourselves, why should we care? Yeah, why should we care about the corporatization of a, of churches? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'll go first here because I, I think we have different reasons because I, I believe we talked about this first. Mm-hmm. Um, the main hangup that I have about the corporate corporatization of the church and of our country and the world in general is that corporations exist for one purpose. To maximize profit. Mm-hmm. It's not just to make money. It's to maximize profit. And so in the quest for maximizing profit, that's really the only thing that matters at the end of the day. Right. The, the welfare of the congregants, the needs of the community, like one of those things has to take priority. And yeah. well, Jesus said you can't serve both God and mammon. Yeah. Money. It's money, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, um, and this is something that we're seeing not only in the churches, 
but also in our society in general. I mean, you look at um, politics, for example. People say, well, I want this person in office because they're a businessman or a businesswoman. They're a business person. They ran their own business. Well, that's cool, but the purpose of government and the purpose of a business, like I said, is different. Mm-hmm. Um, church, uh, and that's another topic, but, uh, but governments exist to serve the populace. Corporations, businesses exist to maximize profit. So there's a clash right there. If, the, if those two clash, guess who's going to win in a corporation? Maximize profit. And this is one of the things that I'm seeing in the corporatization of the church. I mean, you look, for example, at mega churches like Joel Olstein. Mm-hmm. Um, he refused to allow people to come into his church who during the during the bad weather in Texas. The hurricane stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at that. That's an example of maximization of profit over people. Yeah. What did Jesus say if you have two coats? Hey, you got enough. Give the other person your coat. Who needs it? Right. That kind of stuff is why it matters to me and why I think it's important. Yeah. And that's just a summary of why I think it's important. How about you? Yeah. So my big concern is the fact that in our society, obviously, money translates to power, right? Yeah. Obviously, we're a capitalist society and capitalism and the state. There's there's a relationship between private interests uh, of capital and the state. And usually that exists in terms of like lobbying uh, influence. Money buys you influence in America. The fact that this one particular church, which reaches thousands and thousands of people and is able to influence them in a way that conforms with the evangelical Christian movement, which I believe is ultimately harmful. It's a very destructive movement in the United States. I think it's a threat to secular society. And I think its ideology is toxic and impedes human well-being in terms of, say, reproductive rights, gender roles in society, LGBTQ rights, all kinds of things. And the fact that one single church can influence thousands of people on that scale and be just a tip just it's just like a tip of an iceberg really rock city is not like the big threat it's the fact that it's just like a tiny little (laughs) fragment of an even larger mosaic of these private interests that breathe life into these fucking organizations like arc that churn out it's to promote ultimately this evangelical movement. There's an entire sector. There's an entire industry that's dedicated to procreating this or spreading this idea around this ideology. 
and I see its effects, especially as these people get, they turn out people to run for office. They, they lobby, they luck and love lobbying. I see that as a threat in a way. And that's why I think it's bad. It's harmful for those of us who want a secular society. It's harmful for those who are in marginalized communities that are usually on the receiving end of the evangelical stick. Again, like women, LGBTQ folks, etc. Yeah, I think that is why we should be concerned. Yeah. And I think that I think that's a good place to leave off because we're at the two hour 16 mark. All right. Well, let's talk about next steps as well. Um, yeah. So I guess let's apply this idea of a corporate church to not only, I mean, Rock City, but Catholicism, Mormons. And you'll see that, I mean, their wealth compares to Amazon, Apple, <laughs> mm-hmm. stuff like that. And yeah. um yeah, I think we should discuss I think we should research and discuss that further. Yeah, I think that's a good place to stop. So yeah. thank you for tuning in, everyone. It's been great going on this really wild ride with you all. Yes. Uh yeah, and uh thank you. Thank you too. Yeah. Appreciate it. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.